Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we start a brief series this morning, which I'm calling a quick peek at Proverbs. And there's probably no better introduction that we can have than by using the Bible Project. Again, I want to remind everybody, you can get this online. Fabulous ministry. And so, without further ado, here is the Bible Project, introduction to Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are ten speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. The father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now, these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom 
have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people. Which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe. And so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well. But there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem is about the woman of noble character. 
It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom, and so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. Take your Bibles out and turn, indeed, to the book of Proverbs. We're just going to do two weeks. Uh, as, you, as you heard them mention, it's really true. Proverbs is more of a reference book. Uh, it, it's typically not something that you would you know, preach through or read through. Um, but... Um, Probably more in terms of to go to from time to time to gain, as he said, to gain wisdom and insight and how to live rightly before God. Um, as they mentioned, Proverbs is, is part of the genre of what we call Old Testament wisdom literature, but even within wisdom literature, very unique in its genre. Uh, for instance, you have the Psalms, which is, is, is poetry. Uh, you have Job, which is, is poetry as well, but, but if you read Job, in fact, that's what I'm thinking we're going to do later this year. Um, it, it, it's a different kind of poetry. And then Proverbs themselves are, are very different. So although they're all classified as, as Old Testament wisdom literature, they're very, each one is very unique and, and gives a very unique contribution uh, to God's Scripture. What's a proverb? Audience participation time. What's a proverb? A pithy saying. What's pithy? <laughs> okay, short, yeah. A short saying? Good. Is that it? Just a short saying? It is a short saying. Well, how would you define a proverb? To, to express some kind of general truth? Okay. Well, I looked up a definition. That's pretty much it. A short, popular saying that expresses effectively some commonplace truth or useful thought. Okay? Uh, that's not on your outline yet. So, th- these, are, these, are short, these are short sayings that usually reflect some kind of general truth. Um, and we'll refer to this again. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. What, what kind of proverb? You, we have proverbs in our own culture. What are some of our proverbs that we have today? A penny saved is a penny earned. A stitch in time saves nine. I have no idea what that means. Any quilters? I think that's from quilting, isn't it? What's a stitch in? No? Okay. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Use it, and if it breaks, you needed a new one anyway. Uh, okay. Let sleeping dogs lie. This is from my new mom over here. What else? Other other proverbs. A bird in hand is worth two two in the bush. So we have even our own culture. We have a lot. Look before you leap. What is the purpose of proverbs? What what are these? What are the purpose of these proverbial sayings? Is and we're going to look at this again later. But let's take look before you leap. Is that? What by the way? What does that mean? Look before you leap. Right. Don't make rash decisions. Don't don't make impulsive decisions. But 
but approach it carefully. Can you think of a scenario when that probably would not be a good idea? <laughs> when, an RT, when you're crossing the street and an RTD bus is bearing down upon you, you probably want to leap before you look. You, you, that, there are times when you, we need to respond, we need to react. Okay, So just keep that in mind. And so the same is true with biblical Proverbs. And we're going to look at that together. All right. How do we approach Proverbs? We, we say this over and over again. We, we, how do we interpret the Proverbs? Because we cannot interpret Proverbs the way we interpret Romans. We cannot interpret Proverbs the way we interpret Ezekiel or certainly Revelation. So how do we approach Proverbs? How do we use them? How do we, in fact, uh, uh, interpret them? So, number one, we're going to go through these four, right? Four. Um, how do we interpret Proverbs? First of all, Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God. They are not legal guarantees. They, they state, as the introduction told us, they state a wise way to approach uh, certain selected specific goals. So understand from the very beginning, they are, you do not treat Proverbs as, div, as a divine warranty for success. Turn to Proverbs 22, if you would. Give you an example. This is, this is what we probably probably heard, and maybe even your, you yourself have heard preached or, or, or heard or read. Proverbs 22.6. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning, so it'll be probably very different than yours. It says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Uh, other translations say, train up a child in the way that he should go. Um, typically, or, or what commonly is interpreted by this, is a divine guarantee. Uh, uh, and you've probably heard this. That, that, that parents can virtually guarantee that their children will turn out to be godly adults if you just raise them properly. Now, what's, first of all, let's assume that's true. What's, what's, the, what's the big problem with that? I guarantee you, I didn't always raise my children properly. I made a lot of mistakes. Because you, know, you find it hard to believe I made a lot of mistakes. Now she went, eh. <laughs> How many of us parents would say we could have done a better job raising our children? Oh, you don't have to raise your hands, but I, but I see that hand, brother. <laughs> Let's pray for Tom. <laughs> so that's number one. You know, what does it mean to, 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 to how, how properly do I need to raise them for this to be a good divine guarantee? But that really violates the genre. Over and over again, guys, you hear me say, you, you have to approach the different genres of the Bible differently. Pro, this was not meant to be a divine guarantee. Now, how many of you have New American Standard? New American Standard has a footnote or a text note. And what does it say? According to his way. So pay attention. For those of you that translations have footnotes, pay attention to that because this is what we would call a, a, an alternative translation. In other words, that, that there was enough, the translator thought there was enough ambiguity that it could go either way, although they opted for the one in the text. So this could be interpreted, train a child according to his way, and the end he will not depart from it. This may be saying, 
if you allow a child to go their own independent way while they're young, if you allow them to live according to their own bent, then they will probably do that the rest of their lives. But even that's not a, that's not a divine guarantee of failure. Because there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of kids, my filter just kicked in. I just, did you notice that? My filter just kicked in. There are a lot of kids that, that grew up in, in, in not the best environments. And it turned out to be godly people. So even that's not a divine guarantee. So, again, Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God. But generally speaking, we as parents, in Ephesians says, to do what? To, to nurture, raise it under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That generally speaking, children that are raised in a healthy, godly home with flawed parents who make a lot of mistakes, but still their home is a, is a godly home where God's Word is taught and, 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 and the Lord is honored and the Lord is worshipped. Generally speaking, you, this will in fact produce godly adults. Even if they may go through a, a period of rebellion. And I'm not going to ask, please don't raise your hands, Tom, but how many of you have gone through periods of rebellion? Yeah, I mean, I think m- many of us have remember times in our lives where we've gone, maybe as younger adults, we went through periods of, of, of rebellion. And um, so, so these are not legal guarantees of, 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 from God. That's not the purpose of Proverbs. Just as much as a stitch in time saves nine is always true. Now, having said that, there are some Proverbs that are always true. When, they, when Proverbs talk about the nature of God and how God acts and how, God's, how God responds, those are always true. So again, you have to read Proverbs with a little bit of discernment. But just understand that basically, Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God. We can't go to the book of Proverbs and claim promises, especially about, in this case, about our children. So that's number one. Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God. Number two. Proverbs should, I think I put must up there, but they, they should be read as a collection. Uh, as the introduction tells you, that sprinkled throughout and placed throughout the book of Proverbs, you have various themes, um, but they're not all in one place. In other words, Proverbs, for the most part, there's really no context. You don't study the Proverbs in context because there is no context. But there, there are reoccurring, many, many, and, and they, he listed some of those, Many, many reoccurring themes, but they're, they're spread throughout the book of Proverbs. And, you, and, and so really you should uh, read all the book of Proverbs and, and, and bring that, whatever theme you're looking at, bring those themes together. Let me give you an example. Um, let's talk about what the Proverbs says about self-control. And I'm, I'm not going to use all of the verses because we'd be here all day, but turn to Proverbs 16.32. Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. Okay? So, what do we learn about self-control in 1632? Well, we don't, we don't live in a culture with a lot of mili- or personal military prowess. Um, but, but that was held in high regard back then. Um, it, it, is, it is harder, therefore... 
to control one's passions than to, do, than to perform some great military exploit. And conversely, to control your passions is greater, was greater to them than any kind of military exploit. So that's 1632, talking about self-control. Turn to 2528. And there, there's others, of course, too, that you'd want to study and want to read. So, 1632 is talking about the person who exercises self-control. 25 through 28 talks about the lack of self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And so, really, you need to study the Proverbs, not from just reading, you know, chapter 1 to chapter 31, but I encourage you to, to, to read those through... Themes. And so pick a theme, and a lot of our study Bibles will help you with that, but pick a theme, and then throughout the book of Proverbs, record all the Proverbs that talk about that theme and what you learn. Let me give you another example. Turn back to Proverbs 11. See, I told you there'd be no preaching today. I might sneak in a little bit of preaching, but. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So. The, Bible, the, the Proverbs talks a lot about gossip. In fact, the, the Proverbs talk a lot about how we use our mouth, about our speech. So, he says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Um, 1628. A perverse person stirs up conflict. And, and rather than and, I would, I would use a contrastive but, but a gossip separates close friends. 2019. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Well, you might be all by yourself. 2620. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. He talks about gossip as being fuel for quarreling. Um, so, again, read the, read the Proverbs as collections, not just, you know, chapter 1 through to chapter 31. I mean, there's profit in that as well, of course. Some people like to, for every, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, read, read it. Read a chapter a day that corresponds to the day of that month. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't do that. That's obviously great. But just keep in mind, Proverbs probably are most um, edifying, I guess, if, if you read them as, as collections. Okay? Proverbs are worded to be memorable, not as... I say you're not as I didn't I couldn't think of the right word theoretically accurate I don't know if that's the right phrase or not what do I mean by that and again they don't always apply to every situation in life some of them just don't apply all the time they, they, they proverbs never quote exceptions in other words proverbs will never say this is true except in the case of this. They, they, that's not the purpose of Proverbs. And again, I thought it was really good in, in the Bible project. They said that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is for. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is all the exceptions. Uh, and Job obviously is. 
to be sure. Um, so uh, when we say they are worded to be memorable, um, to, to, they state generalized truths, that, that not to be theoretically accurate. They don't state qualifications. Um, that you're going you're to find a lot of hyperbole in the, in the uh, Proverbs. Hyperbole is, I guess you could say, exaggeration or overstatement. To, and, and hyperbole is, is used is a figure of speech to bring what? To, to bring emphasis to something, to highlight something, to, um, uh, to, to, to bring it to, to, to the fore, I guess you could say, to, to really highlight something. I don't know how else to say it, Stan. Hyperbole. Uh, it must be studied to find the principle, not the hyperbole itself. Finally, paradox must be viewed as a, as a literary device. It's for catching attention and for memory. Let me give you an example. Turn to uh, chapter 26. I think we're still in 26, right? Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. That sounds like a contradiction to me. It's not a contradiction. What do you think he's saying in these two verses? Here's what I think he's saying. You've got to be discerning and understanding what kind of fool you're dealing with. Sometimes a fool needs to be answered. Other times, a fool let him go. Wisdom will tell you which one it is. But understand, not all fools are created equal. You have different kind of fools. I think he's saying, you've got to understand what kind of fool you're dealing with and respond accordingly. Okay? So, they're, 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 they're worded to be memorable, um, not to be theoretically accurate. They don't always apply to every situation in life. They don't note exceptions or qualifications. Hyperbole must be studied for its principle. And paradox must be viewed as a device really for catching attention and memory. And for, and for in, that, in this case, recognizing that there are some differences. Um, we, need, we need to be aware of that. And, and by the way, as you study it as a collection, that's easier for you to you'll find those. And, and to, to be view, when you view them as a collection, most of the time, those will come out. Okay? All right. Some Proverbs need to be translated to be understood. What do we mean by that? Well, many Proverbs express truths according to practices and institutions that no longer exist. And so we have to extrapolate from that. Let me give you some examples. Um, Chapter 20, verse 16. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if it is done for an outsider. Take the garment of one who puts up security. Uh, Turn to 27.13. Verbatim. Almost verbatim. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if it's done for an outsider. Anybody know what this whole garment thing was? Ah, uh, seductress. 
Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about translations here in a second. That's interesting, Kelsey. Turn to Deuteronomy. We're, we're, we're going to address that. Deuteronomy. Let's see here. What did I write down? 24. And in a lot of our, a lot of your reference Bibles, you should have probably Deuteronomy 24 should be referenced. 10 through 13. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside. Let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with the pledge in your possession. Return their garment by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord our God. Garments were, were, were was there, literally was their coat. And culturally, you, you gave up your coat as a form of collateral to make good on a pledge or make good on a loan. So garments, a cultural, uh, in that day, was you would give a garment as collateral. Because what else do you have? You, you can't put up your house, your car. What? So they, they, their, their cultural practice was to give up their garment. Their garment was very important to them for warmth, for protection. And so Deuteronomy said, if you take the garment as collateral, make sure you at least give it back to them at night so they can stay warm. So so garments was, were considered forms of collateral. Um, so you have, to, you have to kind of know that or, or, or read that to really get the gist of this. So he's talking about when people put up collateral. Okay? Uh, what's another one? Uh, okay, chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. And then turn to 16.11. Again, these are not all, all the verses. These are just two representative verses. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. What's going on there? Um. During this time, during Solomon's time, merchants, would, they, they would use diff, various sizes of rocks. They would use weight as a standard of measure. They didn't have, the, you know, the Bureau of Weights and Measures. So they would use different sized rocks to indicate uh, a, a particular kind of weight. So they would put a, rock, a, a particular size rock on, on one side of the scale. And then whoever's purchasing something would have to put gold or silver or whatever they are on the other side until it, until it evened out. But there, so what he's talking about is the, the, the weights of the rocks you can't be dishonest over. You can't say, well, this rock is two pounds when really it's five pounds. So, given that, what are these Proverbs talking about? Fairness in business. Fair, fairness in, in, in transactions. Um, so, again, this is a, that was a cultural uh, practice that we don't, do anymore, unless I guess it's Bitcoin. I don't know. Maybe so. Don't sell your Bitcoin at. I don't. I have no idea what Bitcoin is, so. and I don't know if anybody really does. I don't know. Maybe they do. Okay, so that, that, that's one. Um, and and you, you might look at Leviticus 19 too. Talks about uh, these kinds of things. Um, someone who does anybody here, Kelly? Do you have your New Living? Okay. Anybody here have New Living translation? All right. Um, New, New Living Translation, or in fact, I, I highly, and this gets back to something Kelsey said, 
When you read the book of Proverbs, I highly recommend that in addition to whatever translation you're using, to also use the New Living Translation. Because what the New Living, in, in the NIV to, to, to a certain extent as well, but especially the New Living. Because the New Living Translation will, will translate these cultural practices for you. Um, and they won't seem as strange or odd. So again, um, various translations have various words. But I, whatever translation you use, I'm not promoting NLT for any reason or anything. I'm just saying, in this case, it would be a good alternate translation to when you read the book of Proverbs to, to read the New Living Translation. Okay? So what do we come up with? Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God. Proverbs must be read or should be read as a collection. I recommend they be read as a collection. The Proverbs are worded to be memorable, not to be accurate in, in every case, uh, just specific cases. And they, uh, many of the Proverbs need to be translated to be appreciated. Um, turn now, if you would, to chapter 1. So who is Proverbs for? Why should I read Proverbs? Why should you read Proverbs? Chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Why should we read the Proverbs? For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for, re- for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get their guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles, of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What a, uh, if you only knew how much epistemology is packed in that one sentence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the, Solomon would say to um, neglect to reject the Proverbs you do to your own um, detriment because they uh, are, are the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Next week we'll study some Proverbs and then we'll move on. A quick peek at Proverbs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.